So we are in our final week. Well, I'm even louder than normal. There we go. Hey, hey. So we're in our final week of our series called The Fourfold Gospel, The Spiritual DNA of the Alliance. These four things that we've been talking about, and if you've missed any of these, go online, catch up, listen to, the, to all four of these. Because these four things are the most important things you can believe about Jesus right here. They've been with the Alliance ever since it was founded. And they're with us here at River Life. Four things, it's actually even summed up in the Alliance logo. And as we were, we were cleaning downstairs, getting ready for all the new carpet and stuff, then we were cleaning stuff out, and we found these. Check it out. Yeah. How, how many of you grew up going to a church with banners like this? Yep, one on each side of it. The, there you go, the sanctuary. Yeah, so check it out. See, we got, we got Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Sanctifier, Jesus as Healer, and Jesus as Coming King. There you go. And sure, we find, we find him on like the last day of the series. Oh, well. Well, it's this last one, Jesus as Coming King. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, with all due respect to the return of the Jedi, awesome. The return of the king, Lord of the Rings, awesome. And even the return of Swamp Thing, not so awesome. That's true. That was actually a real movie poster. Okay? With all, with all due respect to all of those returns, the return of Jesus, now that's the big one. That is, it is, is the starting point of the culmination of the entire Bible, the entire story of God, culminates with this event and the ones that follow. And now, this is just one artist's depiction of what it might look like. Maybe if you're a little more of a Renaissance person, you might like this one better. That, that's Michelangelo. That's on, on the wall of the Sistine Chapel. There you go. So for you, for you artistic folks. You got that. Or if that's not quite your style, here's manga Jesus crushing Satan. I thought that was a pretty good one also. There you go. I like how he's got his wing in his hand and, and he's all ripped and all of that. So there you go. There's manga Jesus. So however you picture it, however you picture the second coming of Jesus, this is big. Because it is, it is the end of God's multi-millennial year story. And it starts with the return of Jesus. Now, before we can really move forward, we have to define our terms. That's just, that's good. it's good science, it's good writing, and it's good speaking. So let's make sure we're all on the same page here about what exactly do I mean when I say Jesus' second coming or the return of Jesus. So here's a definition that can get you started. The second coming of Jesus describes the future return of Jesus to earth where he will defeat Satan, destroy evil, and establish his kingdom. Now that's a pretty broad definition. There is a whole lot that is not included in that. But that gives you a general picture of what, when I'm talking about the return of Jesus, what do I mean by that? Three big things, defeat Satan, destroy evil, and establish his kingdom. 
Now, chances are, if, if you have questions about it, if you like end time stuff, and if, and if you've ever had a question, I want you to think of a question you have about anything end times related. Go ahead. Think about anything, anything that's crossed your mind lately. Right. You got, got some random question in your mind? Chances are, it probably doesn't cover one of those three, four things up on that screen. My guess is it probably covers things like prophecies, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, resurrection, judgment day, heaven, hell. These are usually the topics where people have questions about. Now, to disappoint all of you, I'm not even going to touch on any of that because there's one concept that is foundational to understanding any of those topics. But I'm not going to leave you hanging because those are, those are important and they're interesting things. And if you have a question about that, so to help you out, rather than doing it in the sermon, I've actually got a little cheat sheet for you. So out at the info table after service, I've got a little uh, mini poster here. That's how the end of the world as we know it. And it covers the three major perspectives on end times chronology. And then all the little implications that happen with each one of them. So if this is something that's interesting to you, if you want to learn more about it, or maybe you're like, I've never even read the book because that whole revelation thing, that's kind of freaky stuff. If you want to learn more, grab one of these after service. We've got a whole pile of them out at the info table. So grab one of these, and you can learn a whole lot more about end time stuff um, that I'm not going to cover today. But I am going to cover the one thing that you have to understand. This, this idea forms the bedrock. It forms the foundation of understanding everything else, everything on that chart, one big thing that you've got to get right. Because if you don't understand this, everything else won't quite make sense. So what is it? What is this big idea to understand all of this up there? Is that the second coming of Jesus will be nothing like his first. Let me say that again. The second coming of Jesus will be nothing like his first. So picture Jesus from the Gospels. There's Jesus, long hair, hipster beard, robe, sandals. He's loving people. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's gentle. He's kind. He's forgiving. All, and all of that is true. But that is not what Jesus will be like when he comes back. See, Jesus first came as a suffering servant. But he will return as a conquering king. And a lot of times we picture that Jesus, because that's what maybe you've seen in movies, or if you grew up going to church, that's kind of the Sunday school Jesus, is the meek and mild baby in a manger. But that's not who Jesus will come back as. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because you have to understand this part of Jesus. And one of the best passages to understand and to get a glimpse 
of who Jesus will be when he returns is found in the book of Revelation, not surprisingly, Revelation 19. And so we're going to look at this passage, uh, but I should, before we dive too deep, I should give you a warning that there is some really strange imagery in this passage. If you've read anything about Revelation or even heard anything about Revelation, the whole book has some really freaky stuff in it. And that's okay to acknowledge, and it can be really sort of weird even, and confusing, um, and that's okay. But, it, but part of today is going to be to help you understand a little bit of what do we make of a book that talks about dragons and beasts and seven horns and crowds and people and, and all kinds of pretty crazy stuff. I'm going to help you make sense of it. So to, to start us off, I want to start with two big picture principles of how to understand Revelation specifically and prophecy books as a whole. Because Revelation is in part a prophecy book. So two big picture ideas here. And, and if you get this down, then you'll, be able, you'll make much better sense of the, pack, the passage. First, that the passage is filled with symbolic and allegorical imagery. That's the nature of the genre of writing. So as a result, we have to be really careful in how we interpret things, particularly in how we might interpret things literally. Because the style of this writing is meant to be sort of grand and poetic. So the things you read don't always necessarily mean what you read. Often they represent things. They represent people, things, events, characteristics. And when we get to the passage, you'll, you'll see a great example of that. So the second thing is that most of the imagery that we see in Revelation isn't new. It's actually taken out of the Old Testament. Believe it or not, there's very little new imagery that comes in the book of Revelation. So much of it is out of the prophet books of the Old Testament. And it's like... The author, John, who wrote, who wrote the revelation under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is saying, God is saying through John that, that everything the prophets wrote about, Jesus is the one to fulfill it. All of those imagery, that pointed to Jesus, and that pointed to his return. And so that's what we're going to see in today's passage. And I, I won't have time to go back to the Old Testament with every one of the references, but it's true. If you have a good study Bible, which I highly recommend. Um, I used to have the print study Bible. Now I have the study Bible app on my tablet. I highly recommend a good study Bible. You can go through and then you can actually trace back each of the images back to their Old Testament references. So that's the next thing to understand. So with those in mind, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole paragraph first. Read the whole thing and then I'll go and kind of walk through and explain some of it. So don't freak out. Is if you read through this and you just get lost really quickly or nothing's making sense, that's okay. Stick with me. By the end, it'll all make sense. Well, at least this paragraph will make sense. Here we go. So this is Revelation 19, starting with verse 11. And remember, Jesus' second coming 
will be nothing like his first. So this is John speaking. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that does not sound like Sunday school Jesus. But that's Jesus. That is the return. That is the second coming of Jesus. And that is really, really different than what we see in the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus will return really, really different. Remember, the second coming of Jesus will be nothing like his first. Now, let's talk about some of the imagery. We'll walk through, in case you got, got a little weirded out or confused by some of that, we'll walk through. But before we go into the specific images, I want to prove to all of you that you can be scholars of the book of Revelation. Okay? You can actually understand more than you realize. So I want you right now to think about a word or two that, kind of, that just came to mind as you were reading and hearing that paragraph. Just, just a word or two that came to mind. Okay, think about, you have a word? Okay, so, I, so this week I asked some people, read this passage and give me some words. So these are some of the things people said. Powerful, scary, kingly, freaky, overwhelming, commanding. Did the, the words you thought, did, the, did those kind of fall into that category? If it did... I think that's exactly what God was going for. That was exactly the intention, the feeling that God was going for with these images. Because see, prophetic literature is is a lot about how you feel reading the, the images, the allegories, the word pictures. And that's kind of how you feel when you read some of this. Powerful, scary, kingly, freaky overwhelming, commanding. And that's exactly what Jesus will be. So let's hit some of these, some of these images through here to help make sense of some of this. Okay? Remember, nearly every one of them comes out of the Old Testament. This is not new stuff. And this paragraph says every one of those lines that prophets wrote thousands of years prior to the writing of the Gospel of John, uh, um, Revelation. Jesus is fulfilling it. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament. So, let's start with his names. 
Did you catch it in there that, that this writer, Jesus, had four names? And you thought it was tough. Maybe you've got like two names, three names. Jesus had four names. So here are some of them. First, faithful and true. I, I love this one because a lot of that imagery is kind of scary stuff. But it's said that this writer's name is faithful and true. Jesus is still trustworthy. He is still reliable. He is still true. Next, this one. He has a name unknown to anyone else. See, Jesus in his return will be completely unlike us. See, Jesus' first coming, he became like us. But his second coming, nope. We won't even know his, we won't even understand his name. He is that different, that indescribable. Next, his name is the Word of God. And I love this one. Jesus is, is God's powerful presence since the beginning of time. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now, Revelation 19 says that his name is the Word of God. And lastly, it closed with another name. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the ultimate name. This is the name above all names. This is the big wig Mac Daddy of all possible names. But what's cool about this is in the Old Testament, this was a name reserved only for God. Only for God. And now here's Jesus returning saying, that's my name. And my name is above all other names. It affirms that Christ was sovereign. He was greater than all earthly rulers. All kings, we got a king above them. All lords, we got a lord above them. And that's Jesus. So we got four names. Now, we, in this passage, we, we ran across some attributes of Jesus as king. So the fourfold gospel here talks about Jesus as our coming king. So we have some kingly images here also. He came in riding on a white horse. Now, a white horse, this was the best type of horse, except maybe a unicorn because it's so fluffy. You can tell I've been watching Despicable Me this weekend. He's so fluffy. Unicorns, okay, best horse. But in real horses, the white horse was the best horse. See, kings who won rode in on white horses. The kings who lost, they got like donkeys and they had to walk, but no, no. The victors rode in on the white horse because it was the best horse. Right? And that's what Jesus walked, rode in on, the second coming of Jesus. First coming, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not so in the second coming. A giant white stallion. It's the sign of triumph. Next, a head with many crowns. See, I love this one because he doesn't just wear his own crown. He wears everybody else's crowns. That's what many crowns. It's not like he just has lots of crowns stacked up. No. He's wearing 
everybody else's crown. Every king that exists, that existed back then when the, the readers and the hearers of this first heard, every king, Jesus wore their crown. And he still does. Every ruler, every politician, every president, king, warlord, Jesus wears their crown. And then not only was he riding in, but he had armies behind him. The armies of heaven were riding in on horses as well. And now this one, this, this is the angels of heaven. And in another passage of Revelation, talks about thousands and thousands. Like, I cannot even picture what thousands and thousands of people would be. But that's what was happening. And it was angels, and it's also possible that that army consisted of believers. There are other passages in Revelation that talk that that, that army might consist of believers as well. But just like a king, he was followed by a massive army. It also says he'll rule with an iron scepter. A scepter is, is kind of like a short staff. It often is bejeweled on the top, and it's the sign of the king. Nobody holds that scepter except the king. That's the sign of his power, his voice, his command was that scepter. And that's what Jesus came in holding. So Jesus was king. But Jesus will also be judge. So there are some images of judge. It actually says he judges and he wages war. But what about, what about the whole peace-loving Jesus? Yeah, in Jesus' first coming, he was a peace-loving, peace-advocating Jesus. But in his second coming, he will judge and he will wage war against those who oppose him. But I love that that passage says, with justice. That's an Old Testament word that combines this, what we would think of as justice, but also combines it with what we think of as righteousness. Put those two together, and that's who Jesus is. So lest you think he is an unfair king or a cruel judge, he, he does it with justice and righteousness. And then lastly, did you catch the line, eyes like blazing fire? Okay, Now I'm, I'm picturing X-Men, Cyclops, pull down, okay, eyes like blazing fire. Not quite. Again, these are allegorical pictures. Okay, this, 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 uh, The eyes of blazing fire, this is symbolic. A very common symbol in, in Scripture, actually. Um, that talks about the penetrating insight to judge. Imagine a person's eyes were so powerful that they could see right through you. And if you've ever had a conversation with my wife, Penfor, you know what I'm talking about. Trust me, I live with her. She can see right through me. She has penetrating eyes. So if I were ever to draw her, I'd, I'd do like laser beams out of her eyes. That's what's going on here. She's not here, so... I'll get in trouble later for that. <laughs> okay, so lastly, lastly is the image of Jesus as conqueror. Now, this one is hard for us. We, first, we don't typically think of conquering as a good thing. That's what whites did to Native Americans. 
That's what Europeans did to Africans. Conquering is not a good thing. Right? That's at least how we think. But in God's economy of those who follow God and those who oppose God, it is entirely just for God to defeat those who oppose him. So there's this idea of Jesus as conqueror. And there's also language here that we don't think is very Jesus-y. Like this is not Sunday school Jesus, some of them we're about to hear. Ready? With a sword coming out of his mouth. And now hopefully that's one you certainly are not going to interpret literally. Because that's just weird. It's a sword coming out of his mouth. But that is the conquering power of the word of God. It is literally the power and the mouth and the words. There it is. Okay. Next, talks about with that sword that's coming out of his mouth, he will strike down the nations. Now, this isn't all the nations. Only those that do not believe in God. Only those that oppose God. God will strike them down. And then, then you get... Two, two phrases which are probably the strangest to our ears. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Now, I don't know you, but I've never been in a winepress. And the wrath of God is a tough thing for me to wrap my head around. So, I don't, so it begins with, I don't even know what this means. It's actually pretty simple to understand. We're the grapes. God's the feet. That's what this image is. That those who oppose God, those who disobey God, those who, who do not follow God, they're the grapes. And you can probably picture what happens with the feet. He stomps them out. And that's part of this conquering king that Jesus will be. And as uncomfortable as that is, the Bible is very clear that this is part of what will happen when Jesus returns. We're the grapes. He's the feet. And you, you can imagine if you're wearing a, a nice robe, a nice toga when you're stomping grapes, the bottom of your toga is going to get all stained with grape juice. That's what it says. He has a robe dipped in blood. And that is evidence of his conquering of those who oppose him, of those who disbelieve. So there you have it. That's the picture of Jesus that Revelation paints over and over again. The Old Testament prophets spoke about it consistently across the books. That's Jesus, our coming king. When Jesus returns, he will come as a righteous king, judge, and conqueror. So, as you can see from just, the, and this is just one paragraph, one passage. You can see that Jesus' second coming will be nothing like his first. Jesus came as a suffering servant. But he will return as a conquering king. See, he came in humility, but he will return in glory. He came to take away sins, but he will return to judge sins. 
He came as a lamb, but he will return as a lion. He came to seek the lost, but he will return to judge the lost. He came to save, but he will return to reign. And we have to understand that. That his second coming will be nothing like his first. Now there's really only one way to wrap up a sermon like this. We have this looking at this question about Jesus, our coming king. I ask the question, are you ready for him? Are you ready for him to return? If Jesus were to return today, what would he find? Yeah, go ahead and play that video. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we know he will. And so for you believers out there, for you who identify yourself as a Christian, there's the question, what will you do? How will you live in light of Jesus' return? What are you going to do? Now, I also have the question for those of you who are not Christian. And I love that River Life is a place that you can come to and feel safe to learn about God and experience his people. But if you are not a Christian, 
I want to ask you, if Jesus would return today, do you know whether you will be judged or received? Will you be invited into an eternity with God or an eternity apart from Him? Now, this isn't guilt. This isn't a guilt trip. Any of you who know me, that's not my style. But this is me as your pastor wanting you to be able to spend an eternity in God's presence. Desperately wanting that, but knowing that God even wants that more for you. So for those of you who are not a Christian, and you're here checking this out, learning about Jesus, there will come a day in our lifetime or beyond where Jesus will come as a conquering king, as a righteous judge, and he will judge all of us. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you will be found guilty by the judge and cast out of God's presence. And everything that the Bible talks about, about hell, I don't think even begins to scratch the surface of what it's like outside of God's presence. To be absent of anything good, anything loving, anything of God. That sounds like a terrifying The truth is, man, I want this whole church to be in heaven. And when you, when you own up, when you face who Jesus will be when he returns, it's no small matter. So this isn't, this isn't a guilt trip, but this is a reality. And so for some of you, for some of you believers out there, you're sitting and, and watching the video and listening to that story. And do you know what side of God, God's judgment you will be on? And maybe your life isn't quite reflecting your words. And you need to turn around. And you need to confess to God. You need to get some things right with God this morning. And you know it. And some of you, you never said yes to Jesus. And you are facing, you're facing a judgment without Jesus. And that is a terrifying thing. And if that's you, after, after I pray here, we're going to be singing a couple songs. And if you want to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, come on down. I'll be up here. And I will pray with you. I'll give you a big hug. And I'll help you understand. We'll pray together. Help you understand what having a relationship with Jesus is all about. To avoid the conquering king. Because see, what this passage didn't talk about is the other side of Jesus. That will happen in the end of days. Where Jesus invites his followers into his presence. His glorious, amazing presence. See, that happens in the next two chapters. Revelation 20 and Revelation 21. And that's the promise God has in store for you.
So what will it be today? What side of Jesus' commanding judgment will you land? Say yes to Jesus. Join me in prayer. God, I stand humble knowing that we deserve your judgment. God, there is nothing good in us and there is nothing good in me. Anything good comes from you. And there's nothing we could do. There's nothing I could do to save myself. We are, we are literally at your mercy. But you are a mercy-filled God. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. So that we don't have to pay the penalty. We don't have to face judgment for our own sins. So I thank you that you have given us a way to avoid being conquered by the returning Jesus and instead invited into family fellowship, invited into communion with you for eternity. God, I want that for all my brothers and sisters here. Lord, so for anyone who doubts what side of your judgment they will land on, I pray that you speak to them. Draw their heart to you today. Draw them to Jesus. Whether it's for the very first time or whether it's for the 50th time. Draw their hearts to you so they can spend an eternity in your presence. Thank you, God. We don't deserve that. We don't. But we can pray this because of Jesus. It's in his name as our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. It's that name above all names that we can pray. And thank you, Lord.